Lee Scott. He's Lee. And we're here to save the movies. Episode 12. 12. The uh, Last Dragon. The Last Dragon. <laughs> I hope people are not That's tuning in point. just for the spectacular introduction. <laughs> It'll be a weird thing. Well, that's the best part. I can't listen anymore. <laughs> well, this becomes famous. We'll hire somebody to do that. Okay? That's right. I call uh, Jason Statham. <laughs> oh, no. It's too much pressure on you if we do this spot. I call Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> Hans, like to, I like for you to picture us as handsome bald men anyway. <laughs> You're Vin Diesel? <laughs> that's much closer. Nobody, even, nobody uh, can imitate Vin Diesel. That's true. That's true. I'm not he even going to try to. I'm not even trying to imitate Jason Statham. <laughs> you have to start with a British accent. That's right, which is already of dangerous territory, so I'm not even going to bother. So this week. We watched The Last Dragon. Yes, the classic 1985 Barry Gordy produced martial arts Motown. <laughs> Musical. It's not really a musical. It has music in it. It's not a musical, but uh, it's a kung fu movie. It's a kung fu movie in pretty much every important way. Yes. Just takes place in in eighty five New York, which is almost like a period piece. As we were talking, you know, as you get older, you get to that stage. <laughs> I'm at that stage now where somebody something will be said in the eighties, and somebody will be like, "How quaint," and I'm just like, "You whippersnappers." <laughs> You damn kids. It's nostalgic for me, too. Maybe not as much. Because I was but a child. Oh, in the heart, Scott. In the heart. But I remember the last dragon. <laughs> you son of a... I'd take a swing at you if these old bones weren't acting up. I want you to pop your shoulder out of socket. <laughs> Uh, so it's a kung fu movie, um, and, and the way I think of it is there's like a Kurosawa film that's his take on King Lear, <laughs> and this feels like Barry Gordy's take on on a classic kind of kung fu story. Yeah, because there's so many elements of this. I mean, even the fact that the plot mostly hinges on, almost like it hinges on a warlord, <laughs> a music <laughs> producer, who wants this thing that he can't, he's willing to like attack this woman for, because she's the power, she's the city but also, I mean, so much of the uh, show, Shogun of Harlem, the Shonuf <laughs> stuff is straight up martial arts. I mean, straight up classic kung fu, like classic, classic kung fu movies. Yeah. He's devoted his life to proving he's the most powerful. So he can't do that until he beats Bruce Leroy. He, like, harasses him and threatens him and humiliates him. And only when he finally kidnaps the hero's girl, you know, threatens the hero's family too much, does our hero finally step up and have to. Right, prove. because Bruce Leroy won't right. raise his fist in anger. Right. Which isn't always true in those kung fu movies, but it's 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 yeah. still sort of that thing about uh, he's not there to fight. Right. He's there to study the art. Exactly. And, and Shonuf is, you know, he's stolen the secret arts of the Shaolin or something. He's come we were, back to destroy the temple. We were talking about at the beginning of this is how much this parallels Kung Fu Panda. Or Kung Fu Panda parallels it, really. <laughs> yeah. And I think in that Kung way, Fu Panda might post date yes, Last it, Dragon a little it, bit. <laughs> and in that way, Shonuf is basically Tai Lung, you know, devoted to respect and power to a fault. Like, that's where he's lost his track of 
why he's doing this. It doesn't. He's not doing it for another reason than just to be the best. Right, and they're both takeoffs on the the kung mm-hmm. fu movie mm-hmm. antagonist who is devoted to strength without recognizing the whole the spiritual aspects. Of right, the the responsibility that comes with that power. Right, which is a metaphor for so many things in life. I mean. <laughs> With great power comes great responsibility. I made that one up right now. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) Could you repeat it 28 more times? (laughs) Just in case you didn't understand? Sure. In case I missed part of it. In case you missed it? Uh, I mean, we'll find out what it's a metaphor for later when we spin the wheel of metaphors. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm still, I have to admit, I still am reeling about the speed racer being objectivist metaphor. <laughs> I still cannot stop thinking. I was telling, like, my wife about it. I, I was 100% on board. I, I would say, Scott convinced me I'm 100% on board on this objectivist metaphor. I was surprised too. <laughs> it's good. It's a good, it's a good argument. But here's the difference. Maybe the difference between speed racer and shown up is Speed Racer still respects the art of racing. He wants to just race. That's mostly what he's there for. But he still respects it. He still respects people. <laughs> Where it's shown up, which just may be the first time shown up and Speed Racer have ever been compared <laughs> in, uh, in cinema criticism. But shown up, he doesn't respect the art. He only respects what it gives him. Right. He seeks raw power. Yes. For its own sake. <laughs> that, that's true. That's true. You know, he, he doesn't understand that respect comes in many forms, not just in fear. Oh. You listening, Mr. <laughs> President-elect? Are you listening to humanity is what I want to say. <laughs> Fair enough. Right? So, yeah, it's period piece. It's it's actually aged better. In a way, it's gained a little more gravitas because of the period piece aspects, I think. I'd agree with that. It's not dated, necessarily. Right. Um, but it has all the hallmarks of the 80s (laughs) what is dated you know i think sometimes when you 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 talk about stuff being dated it's because it's so deeply immersed in its era that it doesn't have any ability to translate to our world this one is seasoned with the 80s it still feels like a story that could take place now it's still it's very loose on the slang it's not like uh you're watching some 60s movies and hey you turkeys don't (laughs) sass me turkey somebody says turkey in this movie jive well you know turkey uh, well, right. So when I say uh, dated, mm-hmm. I think what specific, specifically I'm referring to is um, like cultural references mm-hmm. like, of, of the time. Nobody says anything about Reagan <laughs> or talks about like current model cars or anything. That kind of stuff will make your movie seem. I gotta get home and watch the A Team. <laughs> right. <laughs> that that kind of stuff will fall flat after a period of years. That's true. Um, and that's usually what I think of when I... I can see that. Well, that, that sort of fits, though. That's the idea of making too many references to the period in the sense of that's too immersed. Right. You know, even as a writer... Proto. I think that happens a lot where... I, as a writer, I make references in stories to things that happened a long time ago or certain things that are cultural staples. And I'll make sometimes a reference to something that's happening now, but, but it's very loose because if I make a reference to something like a muggle, you know, <laughs> that's solid because that's, I think that's going to be part of our culture. It's that transcends the time, but right. if I make a reference to Keisha, that might not last. I don't know. I don't know. Keisha might last, but it's it's a gamble, <laughs> right? And I think they were smart about it. So yeah. there's a lot of um, references to to pop music, but not actual pop music. They made up their own kind of pop music. <laughs> it helps that they were trying to sell their own soundtrack. Yeah, 
So it wasn't trying to graft onto popular songs. It was trying to create popular songs. But, I mean, that yeah. whether that was intentional or not, they yeah. weren't referencing Cyndi Lauper or well, any of the modern. And what we... What, what at we least keep, not directly. <laughs> what we keep coming back to, and I think we, even when we talk... We talk outside of the podcast. We don't just hermetically seal ourselves. <laughs> is how often Sound accidental... <laughs> accidental discoveries are what make these things interesting and make them work. So I don't think it was an intentional <laughs> thing to avoid being dated, but I think it did accidentally do it. I'll buy that. Mm-hmm. Um, so one one question I had was initially um, why this was on the list because it is kind of a cult classic. Uh, my logic is it's a cult classic, but it's one of those movies that's kind of looked down on, and you know it doesn't have to be an obscure movie to be on our podcast. Our goal here is either to bring obscure movies to light or to help get movies that are well known but kind of lack of respect get so much respect. To give us some respect. I think this is a solid and engaging film. And I even think when we get to the some of the more de- in-depth analysis, I mean, look, I actually agree a lot with what we're talking about with Show Enough. But um, <laughs> we get to the more in-depth analysis, I think there's some really solid character acting here. There's a scene between uh, Anthony Arcadian and uh, his lady, oh, I can't remember her name now, the character, that to me is one of the best like scenes you're going to see in terms of two characters relating to each other. And it's just two character actors in a small scene. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of great moments in here. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. There's certainly some campier parts, I guess. Yes. But there's, there's some very some moments that feel genuine. And um, the guy playing Bruce Leroy, Tymok, mm-hmm. <laughs> actually uh, cries tears at one point. And this is... yeah. Which is not shocking for an actor, but this is his first, like, acting role. Yes. So he was a martial artist first and had to learn how to act for this movie, and he does very well at it. Yeah. Well, it helps that he's sort of playing a, a naive, sincere, honest character. Straight man. Right. Who, who's not very, I don't want to say uh, deep, I want to say who's not very facile. He's not very deceptive. So it helps that he's just playing right. a lot of the scenes straight. And he's feeling what he's feeling, but he, they come across as well. They come across well. And I, I also think the the actors are just um, almost even when they're a little bit silly in this movie, they still come across as well directed. I, I also um, really like the chemistry between Tymac and Vanity. It's really we were talking about the scene where she's trying to seduce him, and I'm thinking the whole time, ah, oh, another story. <laughs> where a beautiful, intelligence, highly successful woman puts together a multimedia presentation to seduce you. Uh, we've all been there. But it comes across as... <laughs> PowerPoint slides. <laughs> but it comes across as very sincere. And, and Vanity, in particular, really sells her honest attraction to him. That she's attracted to him, not just physically, but she really likes him as a person. Yeah. And I feel like their chemistry works even when it could really have fallen flat. I agree. There's, mm-hmm. yeah, I've seen much worse mm-hmm. attempts at that. I'm uh, looking at you, Killer Clowns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Debbie. Oh, Debbie. The White Hot Passion. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie. <laughs> so what was your favorite thing about the movie? My favorite thing in the movie is um, I really liked the, uh, I actually liked a lot of the secondary characters acting. From the the villain Anthony Arcadian and his love, and even the the boxer he works with, um, to the the minor supporting characters, the one guy I can't remember his name, Tommy Yu or something, who's 
the Bruce Leroy's friend and the family, like the family a lot, Bruce Leroy's family. So all the secondary characters actually do, even uh, Shonov's gang, which are kind of cartoonish, <laughs> but they work. They work really well. I really enjoy them. They seem believable. As weird as it is, they seem like they're part of that universe. And yeah. it works. It works. They're good goons. Yes, and uh, the 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 teacher. I can't remember the name of his his teacher. I really like his teacher. Oh, yeah, he's a great, great character. Yeah, um, lights up the screen. <laughs> stuff like you've been watching too many Chinese movies. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to add something. It's not really the same thing, but I'm going to add it. It's, it's, it's a good homage to kung fu without being both either disrespectful or overly fawning, and that's a hard balance. Word. What's your worst thing? I mean, best thing. <laughs> I really like the mu- music in this uh, <laughs> film. I think we both did. But uh, like you were saying earlier, it's all, I think all of it's written for the movie. <laughs> so there's a few songs in there about somebody getting the glow. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that definitely was written for the movie. <laughs> um, and uh, DeBarge. <laughs> DeBarge. DeBarge. <laughs> this movie is full of people with it's one name. It's for the movie. <laughs> My other favorite thing about the I movie. I do... I do like that. It was a Timac Vanity, and there's that Charlene cameo. Uh, yeah. the music. We'll, we'll talk about her in a little bit. I, I like to talk about her too. Of uh, B-list pop star. Yeah, I mean she was Some fairly kind of successful. Star. She was fairly successful. A couple years better than <laughs> more successful than I've been. <laughs> I always love it. So I was like one hit wonder. How many hits have you had? <laughs> When's the last time I heard you play on the radio? You ever heard of Nickelback? <laughs> I, I, that's one of the things. Is I that, know a guy who knows Nickelback. <laughs> Nickelback's a great example because they get a lot of, like, they're not even one hit winners. They've actually got multiple hits. Oh, yeah. But I love that they get harassed and, and I'm always, they're doing what they love and enjoy and being successful. Those sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Enough people like him to put it on the radio. I'm saying. <laughs> It's like, at the very worst, they're kind of forgettable. Well, well whoopty shit. Who cares? <laughs> right. What's your uh, worst thing in the movie? Uh, a lot of people in this movie are now dead. <laughs> and I don't mean that they die in the movie. I mean that they're no longer living on Earth. Um, so uh, the kid who plays Timok's brother is dead. Um, Vanity. Died this uh, year. Yeah. Well, not this year because it'll come out later, but died <laughs> in the year we're recording this. <laughs> the year of the great celebrity purge. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> I mean, a lot of celebrities died this year, but I don't know if a lot of people died this year. Well, like that's why you're saying, things. yeah, I don't. Well, yeah. even, I, even I think if you look at it statistically, not a lot of celebrities died. It's just we started paying attention. It's like shark attacks. <laughs> you start looking for it. <laughs> it certainly feels like a lot of celebrities died this year. <laughs> Uh, Chonuff died. Yeah. That's a Julius Carey died. Timok has grown stronger. He's not dead. <laughs> that's a good looking dude. Uh, the, the, uh, Timok the secret immortal. <laughs> the secret third member of the podcast pointed out that's a good looking dude. He's gotten better looking. He's only getting more strong. <laughs> See, we will not be able to stop him. <laughs> He's feasting on Earth. <laughs> Thoughts, feelings. <laughs> he is the last man. He's the last master. He's the last one. He is the he master. He goes forever. So yeah, that's that's probably the worst thing about the, the movie. grim reminder of your own mortality. <laughs>
It is a bummer. <laughs> My worst thing, besides the fact that it reminds me that all men are mortal, is is that uh, I think at the end the the story decays a little bit when the villain goes full supervillain without any good justification. Besides, he just wants to see people get hurt. Um, I'm willing to overlook it because again, it sells it pretty pretty well, and the fact that he they do play it up almost like a supervillain works. You know, um, it gets cartoony, but that sort of fits with the reality of this. And also, people do get cartoony, cartoony sometimes. <laughs> as much as it's, it's weird to admit, walk away sometimes. People don't always do it. And so, when this this guy's got nothing to gain besides revenge, that's happened in real life. So it's really hard sure. to sell. It's cartoony, but believable. <laughs> yeah, just like real life. Really, I could lose it. <laughs> Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to match what an actual person would do in, in every case, but it has to, you have to be able to suspend disbelief and follow this character to. Well, and it's in the frameworks of the movie, because I think that's also an important aspect is if, if, for example, if, if I felt wronged by Scott, I'm unlikely to build a weather machine <laughs> and attack his, you know, city. But in the comic book universe, that might not be that weird. In a martial arts universe, the villain being upset and hiring a bunch of cartoonish goons to attack <laughs> fits, you know. Sure, this is Kung Fu Harlem. Right, this is Kung Fu world. It has different rules. This isn't Harlem, New York. <laughs> right. So even the villain, the villain being uh, basically a revenge-seeking madman who hires goons in his multimedia attack presentation is... It's absurd in real life, but that's not the world we're playing with. It's it's the Batman role. I always hate that people think Batman is crazy because they're like, he dresses like a bat. Yeah, and two streets down, there's a guy who shoots arrows at crime. What is... what? <laughs> you're right. If Batman lived in our world, he'd be a nut. In his world, he's just another one of the guys. Yeah, I think you're talking me into this not being like a bad, terrible thing for the movie. Yeah, yeah. My real worst thing is the fact that it reminds me that I soon shall be dead. <laughs> <laughs> It is a sudden turn, though. <laughs> yeah. Because he's going along, and he's got reasons for <laughs> doing what he's doing <laughs> until it all falls apart, and then he just kind of loses it. That's the the secondary scene. I told you I have my... Uh, we talked about it. I think that part about where his his uh, girlfriend slash music star breaks him down, I think it's his moment of villainous breakdown. And when she walks out of his life, she doesn't take just herself. She takes his sanity. It's a harsh look in the mirror. And I think it's actually a really good scene. It's one of my favorite. Ironically, I, I've watched this movie a couple of times, but this is the this time it really resonated with me, maybe because I'm a madman in train or something. But I've always thought it was a good movie, but I was really impressed by the performances, especially of the, the secondary characters in this one. And that scene of the two villains, although she's not really a villain, she's never a villain, is really good. And it does end up justifying to me <laughs> his villainous breakdown. So, um, that's it for right. the preamble. All right. <laughs> uh, if you like to see the movie. You can see it very blurrily on Netflix. YouTube. On YouTube, sorry. Or you can rent it like we did, which is I would recommend if you're going to watch it. Go in and watch it in some, <laughs> at least standard definition. As opposed to a blurry YouTube shot. That YouTube video did not look good. Right. It's not Cat Don't Dance Good, because Cat Don't Dance Good was a pretty solid YouTube video. Yeah. No. <laughs> so don't do that to yourself. Although you can still hear the great music, which is a big part of the movie. That's true. <laughs> Go check out DeBarge. DeBarge. Oh, my God. Uh, All right. Also, go check out... Uh, don't forget. I'm sorry. Don't forget to check out Charlene Fire. Oh, yeah. Look, Check that video out on, on uh, YouTube. It's a lot of fun. When I first saw her, I thought it was Carrie Fisher. Yeah, she looks like Carrie Fisher with that in that 
She had another song. What was it? The one I've never been to me, which was seventies <laughs> hit. Check it out. It's very eighty five song. It's got a, it's got a lot of pep. I like it, and and she really loves a pillar. <laughs> pillar is a metaphor. <laughs> the pillar is a metaphor. <laughs> oh, did we do the metaphor before we cut to the break? Do we do that first? I don't remember what we do in any order. What do we even do here? I have no idea. <laughs> All right, we'll just go to break. We'll go break. All right. Spoilers. Okay. <laughs> I guess it's time to spin. Sometime. Oh, spin the wheel of metaphors. Well, unless you had something you want to do. No, first. go for it. Go for it. I, I like this. I like this. And. <laughs> the rainy season. The rainy season. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what that means. I'm not even sure what that means. <laughs> Is that a dud? We can spin it again. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we should question the wheel of metaphors so. I don't know, hold on, let me think about it Well, there's, uh, the only way it works is if you make the rainy season a metaphor for something else Well, alright, let's 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 check the definition of the rainy season Oh boy <laughs> Rainy season or monsoon season is the time of year when most of a region's average annual rainfall occurs That's not really anything <laughs> It's not really anything Does this okay. movie not mean anything? <laughs> Alright, I'm going to use the rainy season as a metaphor for the discomfort of life that leads to personal growth. All right. Because monsoons, they're not good. But, you know, when you have a rainy season and monsoons happen, that's part of the natural life cycle. And the especially Bruce, Bruce Leroy, he's going through his own rainy season in a way. He's in his darkest moment. It's cloudy. He's He feels... Feels like overwhelmed. he's drowning. He feels in one at one point he's literally drowning, <laughs> and he's in search of the the growth that he desires. He's got to weather that storm, and really that's what it is. When he, especially at the end, since we're past the spoiler part where he's being drowned, <laughs> when does he find the strength? Is when he's gone through the even before that. Like think about it, until he's actually at his lowest point where he starts doubting his even himself. Like when he sees. Shonuff's hands glowing, and he realizes Shonuff may be the master. It's only when he's challenged. It's only when the rain's falling. <laughs> to every life. That he can... A little rain must Right. And then, at that moment, at his lowest point, when he thinks the rain will never pass, he's literally being drowned. It all changes. And the sun breaks through, and he starts glowing. That glow is the personal growth <laughs> that he's experiencing. <laughs> he becomes a mighty oak. <laughs> he becomes... Yes, he, he weathered the storm... <laughs> And he's he's become stronger for it and grown. So that's what my metaphor for the rainy season is. Okay, I like that. There you um, go. Shonuff. Shonuff is the person who doesn't. He doesn't take the rain. If in a way, he 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 experiences it. But then when he he's he's confronting it, and he loses, he immediately gives up. And again, the metaphor here is perfect because he gets kicked into that bucket of water. That's the rain. And he's done. He no longer has the fight. 
when did Bruce Lee... I really like this, by the way. I think this Bruce Leroy transitions in the water, grows. The show enough nearly drowns. The only reason he doesn't drown is because Bruce Leroy Bruce saves Leroy him. Retrieves him. And that's it. He's done. He's out. He can weather the storm. He couldn't. He thought he could, but that's because he wasn't he wasn't really prepared for it. Didn't have the inner strength he, to be nourished by the rain. That's right. He was he was seeking the rain. Maybe it's sort of that. It, that to be fair, it's also that thing in life where it's like we seek to challenge ourselves. Sometimes that's a mistake. And other times we seek not to challenge ourselves. And that's a mistake too. Well, Agent Smith would say we define our reality <laughs> through suffering. <laughs> Guy's a douchebag. I don't care about that. He is, to borrow a term, I've been editing the Constantine episodes. So I'd like to borrow a term crap weasel. <laughs> I do believe that's called a callback. That's a callback. Um, so I think that that's thing. And that's really what this movie is. And that's sort of classic kung fu allegory anyway. There's some master and he's really good. And then the student comes along. And the student gets his butt kicked a little bit and goes through adversity. And then he grows. And the and so many classic, like, stereotypical kung fu movies, that's exactly what it is. This is the same story. There's the guy who wants to become stronger. Shouldn't. He's already strong enough. He should just stop pushing his luck. Another guy who doesn't want, either through doesn't want to become stronger or is not really necessarily interested in pursuing it and has to become stronger because of the, the struggle. Yeah, and I think beat for beat, this is a retelling oh, of yeah. a classic Kung Fu story. Uh, I know we keep saying that, but it's... That's important. It's, it's, what, it's what, really apparent. It's what makes it work. Once you understand that, you can enjoy the story. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be like, why aren't there cops? Those guys busted up a pizza parlor. What can you do? Man, this is kung fu territory. Yep, the police don't show up until they're very convenient at the end of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> one. I think one cop shows up, which is probably a budget thing, not a... <laughs> they did cut two million from the budget. Uh-huh. So there you go. The Lost Dragon is like the rainy season. <laughs> <laughs> it's very loose, but I still like the. I like it anyway, so... That's what's cool about it. You can yeah, still find start taking these off the wheel as we do them. I don't really want to get the rainy season again. <laughs> it's all right. We'll edit it out if we have to. We start the movie on Bruce Leroy... Training. Again, classic Kung Fu. It's, it's great. I mean, first of all, he's rocking. He's got a rock. This guy is awesome looking. He is a martial artist. And he looks, since he says he's supposed, to, he's supposed to have patterned his life after Bruce Lee, it helps that he looks a lot like Bruce Lee. <laughs> he's that same, same uh, skinny muscle build. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's just slow motion, punching and kicking. And you said it, you said it. Like within a minute of this, the kung fu movie that wants you to, makes you want to do kung fu. <laughs> makes you want to stand up and start punching oh, stuff. Oh, immediately. <laughs> and he must be the same size as um, Bruce Lee because right. he wore his jumpsuit. Yeah. That, in that scene with the jumpsuit. There's a yellow jumpsuit in the middle of the movie. From Game of Death. The jumpsuit from the Game of Death. Which is really cool. That was badass. That's really neat. Completely unnecessary for the movie, <laughs> but so freaking cool. <laughs> He's doing his training sequence, and um, his teacher, his sensei, starts shooting arrows at him <laughs> that he chops out of the air. <laughs> yes. And we looked this up on IMDb. He really chopped those arrows out of the air. It took him like a couple hours to get that, right. that shot. Well, it's in slow motion, so it's not surprising, because they make sure you see it <laughs> where he chops the arrow. And uh, It's pretty good. It's pretty uh, cool. So he catches the last one, and uh, I don't know, he's, he's met some kind of milestone. <laughs> Right, because the master's, how did you know it was the blue one? And he's, and I don't, his response, I don't know. I just knew. To know without knowing. There's a lot of zen. 
It's really understand. Well, Zen Cohen's in this. Yeah, which is, and I love that sort of homage because the master rips off the when the master rips off the badge and he he drops down and he's <laughs> he's down on the ground and the master. I love that master like making fun of that. <laughs> yeah. You've been watching too many kung fu movies. <laughs> you know, you're not being punished. And he talks about the the that's where the movie title comes in. The Last Dragon. He's the legacy of Bruce Lee. I love the the charm he gives him in that. Because this is that, you know, if you watch the movie and you haven't, but if you, where the, the t- it's that moment where he has to give him something. He has to give him a quest. He doesn't, it's the wrong quest for him to be having, but he knows he needs, he knows, he knows Bruce Leroy needs a quest, and so he gives him a fake one. Right. This is, this is the parallel to uh, Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. And other Kung Fu movies. Right. I mean, this is the classic journey of self-discovery. Right. But I mean, this one in particular, like the part where the master gives him the fortune cookie and takes out the fortune... <laughs> that's like opening that case of that scroll and not getting anything. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it. This is all you need to know. That's true. There is no secret ingredient. <laughs> what is a fortune cookie without a fortune? <laughs> well, there's also cats don't dance. They can crush your, fo- your fortune, your cookie, but they can never take your fortune. <laughs> so it still establishes everything. I like that they establish things pretty solidly at the beginning. It's got that poppin' song. I love, I love that. Do I love that <laughs> Yes, the very 80s. 80s. (laughs) You're walking down the street. (laughs) And you know kung fu. (laughs) I'm going to throw it into the (laughs) spoiler break. Spoiler (laughs) break. And we're introduced to the character. When we're introduced to the character, I think it does a good job because... And this is where the movie could have, I think, taken a big pitfall. And maybe somebody will even disagree with us on this. So I don't know, but... uh, How dare they? You know, it's really dangerous of of bordering on appropriation. You know where you steal a culture, but it it works for me because Bruce Leroy really has adopted this culture and this idea, but not in a cartoony way. He's not having a crazy accent. He's wearing clothes, but they're normal clothes. They're just normal Chinese. I don't, I don't actually think they're actually even Chinese clothes. I don't, I don't know people in the eighties in China. <laughs> I don't know enough, but it could have gone badly. I think it's because. One, the movie actually has Asian people in it. Two, it it feels authentic and and uh, it's it feels sincere. And it's also sort of that homage. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone will disagree. And it's cool. You know, I I don't want to get. They push it a little bit, but yeah. the clothes he's wearing are is the kung fu getup from classic kung fu movies. Right. That feels appropriate. Right. And I gotta say, when he's eating popcorn with chopsticks, <laughs> I I'd like to try it. <laughs> Because you get the popcorn slowly, you're not like shoveling it into your mouth. You can enjoy and your it fingers; more. don't get buttery. <laughs> I think uh, Timok might be onto something here. <laughs> <laughs> the scene at the theater I really like. A it's Bruce actually a great combination of the two. I think it's Enter the Dragon. They're watching Enter yeah. the Dragon, and it parallels the both the the urban culture and the kung fu culture. And there's this moment that has nothing to do with just a secondary character. A secondary character busts the boombox. With a similar move that Bruce Lee is doing. And I think that's a very intentional homage to the two worlds being on top of each other. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it works really well. Because from that moment on, really, every time we get that sort of weird crossover, it works. Like when the Shogun shows up. (laughs) One of the best intros of a bad guy that you will see. Um, He has his his crew come in (laughs) and form... A column for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and starts chanting, Who's better than the master? Am I the prettiest? <laughs> Show enough. Show enough. 
<laughs> Not the baddest. <laughs> Show enough. Who's better than Master? No one. <laughs> Show enough. The Shogun of Harlem. I don't know if that's really an official title, but we'll let him get away with it. If his style counts for a lot. <laughs> Self-proclaimed Shogun of Harlem. Self-proclaimed Shogun of Harlem. There may not if be a lot of competition for that role. You want to prove him wrong? You can fight him for it. <laughs> I don't want to prove him wrong. <laughs> he stopped the movie, so he's pissed off everybody in the theater. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that they stopped the movie in that scene, and then he sits, and they just start the movie again. Now it makes me wonder if, the, if in that world, the movie theater just knows he's going to do his thing, pause the movie, or if he actually goes up to the guy and he's like, "Oh, excuse me, I'm going to need about five minutes." <laughs> You got it, show enough. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> it's going to take me about three minutes to make my speech. <laughs> <laughs> you never see his dad, so that could be it. <laughs> I like the idea that Shonuff's uh, dad is the projector of the movie theater. <laughs> and he believes in his son. He supports his dream, so he's happy to, to pause the movie. His dream of wearing football protectors. <laughs> <laughs> Calling himself the Shogun of Harlem. I told you, son, when you grew up, you could be anything. So this is where he finds, he discovers the existence, I guess, of Bruce Lee. I think he's supposed to know he exists, but well, maybe it's there. some f- kid who the master is. No, because he says, who can beat me? And the kids, I know somebody who can beat you, Bruce Leroy. And this may be the first time they actually meet, but I think Could they've be. heard of each other. Well, I doubt Bruce Leroy's given a, a damn about the Shogun. He's too busy on his personal journey. Sure. They don't <laughs> really get into it. I like that part. Where he's threatening to punch uh, Bruce Leroy, and Bruce Leroy just staring at him without blinking, because that's that thing where Bruce Leroy's not talk. Shogun's tough, but he's also a lot of talk. Right. That's never the guy that's uh, one you have to watch out for. Right. Uh, even if he is the Shogun of Harlem. Even if he is. I mean, he's he's a jerk, and he's dangerous. He's even tough. He beats up a lot of guys at that movie theater. Sure. Which is another parallel. They're showing the scene yeah. from the Bruce Lee movie. Yeah. We're just kicking a bunch of guys in the face. I like the... Um, and they have uh, people from the theater Russian show up. It's the other one that I thought was interesting. There's, the, there's a transgender or a transvestite uh, person in the scene where the one guy tries to beat up show, show enough. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's not played really for laughs in the sense that it's just a weird thing. And it's almost... I don't want to say sensitive because it's hard to say that. But it's not insensitive in the sense that she's just his girlfriend <laughs> who happens to be a cross-dresser, transgender, whatever. And nobody seems upset by that or weirded out by that. It's, it's, a, weird, it's a weird thing. And, I mean, it's a good thing in a way. Because a lot of movies, especially that era, would have made it into a really big joke. And it's yes. not. I'm trying to think whatever, what other movie we watched. That was kind of remarkable. Oh, yeah. What that they we... were treating somebody uh, just normally. Yeah. I can't remember what we've done, but I remember we were talking about it. It was pretty cool. Yeah. We can't remember our own podcast. Well, there's, there's a lot going on. We got lives <laughs> for now. Oh, what do we got? Oh, but now Darius, not Darius, Julius Carey, uh, I, I can't mention it. And I always, when I think of his name, I immediately think of Darius Rucker, which sounds nothing like Julius Carey. So I don't know how I do that. Uh, Julius Carey was also uh, an actor in um, The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., which was a pretty solid show. He played Lord Bowler. Hmm. Um, he's, you'd see him. He's, tons, he's been on a lot of stuff. I mean, he died in only like four or five years ago. He uh, didn't know martial arts, right? I think that's what the IMDb page said when he took this part. Uh, and and I think he, it... He just looked the part. <laughs> yeah, and it shows. 
in the sense that he's not doing as many cool moves. It works. He's still they, they directed well enough, and he's still yeah, he's still good enough. He's still physical enough as an actor right. that I buy it. He can wear that football protector. He he, he rocks that that uh, <laughs> hairstyle, and I love his gang. I love gangs that have themes, <laughs> and this is the post-apocalyptic kung fu gang. <laughs> Right. They even have names like Razor and some... Razor. Oh, I can't remember all their names. And they got the little choreographed thing they do when Shonuff walks in. That's right. And no, I like to think if I have a gang one day, that we can work out a little routine. I hope there's some kind of theme at least. Right. John Hodgman, in one of his books, he said, it never hurts to have more buyers to back you up in a fight and buy them jackets with your picture on the back of it. Because if it's good enough for the Joker, it's good enough for you. <laughs> it's horrifying. <laughs> the picture of a smile. If you're smi- imagine yourself being surrounded by guys with your smiling face on their jacket. <laughs> I guess they're with that guy. <laughs> Get him. <laughs> he took the last hot pocket. Get it, boys. <laughs> Branding. Branding's very important. Even in gangs. Even you can't in... get away from marketing. <laughs> you can't get away from marketing. That's why these cops can't stop him, because he's got the karate gang. It was a regular gang. The cops would step in. Yeah, that kind it's of a... name recognition. <laughs> forget it, about it. <laughs> it's the superhero logic, which is, if you're just a guy in Gotham who robs banks, the cops handle that. But if you show up with a gimmick... Even if it's like, I'm Calendar Man, they, they show up and they just drive away. Oh, that's Batman's problem. <laughs> that's Bruce Leroy's problem. It's the rules in Kung Fu Harlem. Uh, so, I mean, we're introduced to Charlene. Charlene. Who are you talking about? What's the character's name? I just always call her Vanity. Vanity. Vanity's um, running some kind of club show. Yeah. Like a the, dance the, club. The dance show, which is, is run in Harlem. I guess it's a either a... A national show, or at least a fairly popular show. It's on TV somewhere. It um, like. It's like Soul Train. What I find interesting about it is she's got like a singing introduction. Oh, before I get like that part with William H Macy. I love that part with William H Macy. <laughs> Young William H Macy. There's a lot. It's it's funny to see that, and yet you're also reminded that one day William H Macy will die. <laughs> he hasn't already. And uh, I love his character. His character's good because he's basically talking about, just he's there to talk about the plot where there's the Eddie Arcadian, the music promoter slash supervillain, is threatening him because she won't put a video on her show. There's got to be other venues for this, Eddie. Yeah. I've seen plenty of bad videos in the 80s on TV. It's not even a terrible video. It's just an average video. Pay somebody. But this is why he's a supervillain. <laughs> got three words for you. Kung Fu Harlem. <laughs> <laughs> this is just how things work. This is how things work. You want to get your video on TV, you kidnap the host of the TV show. You got to go through Seventh Heaven. That's your only option. Which brings us to Eddie, I guess. I mean, okay, so uh, Vanity's doing some kind of janky '80s dance moves. I, the thing that I find interesting about that show, and I know this is just this is I like in this show is uh, we're talking about like Soul Train. Soul Train was on for years. But Don Cornelius didn't have to come out and dance and sing for a whole musical number every single episode. <laughs> and this show's on like five times a week in the one part you hear. And she's lowered down. Part she's learning. She's dancing and she's singing. And then she stops and she's trying to, today on the show. And then she starts singing and dancing again. That would be exhausting. <laughs> I mean, pretty good shape. I mean, good for her. She's willing to work, work for it. <laughs> You're yeah. reading too much into this. 
I know, I know. I just pictured her doing it every night. <laughs> it did look tiring. And just that same song. You'd just be sick of it after a while. I found a place. I finally found a place. Seven Heaven. It's good. It's my place. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's not the same song every time. <laughs> I, that's what I'm quitting, but it's the show. Uh, now you know the hell she's Ugh. stuck in. Yeah, and we also simultaneously, uh, we introduced her show, and we're also simultaneously introduced to Eddie Arcadian, music promoter slash supervillain, who I think Barry Gordy had a part in creating, because I, I imagine <laughs> Barry Gordy had to deal with a lot of these type of guys who wanted to make their girlfriend a star. <laughs> it seems likely. <laughs> So he's got his girlfriend who is kind of a Cindy Lauper type pop. Right. Got, she's got some pop videos. Yeah. Um, and his bando thugs. <laughs> and ravenous fish of indeterminate species. <laughs> Which actually I enjoyed that because when we did the Speed Racer episode and they have the piranhas. And I knew enough to know piranhas don't work like that. <laughs> but this thing is mysterious and unknowable. This is how you make a man-eating fish. Right. You, you don't have to define it. It saves on special effects to begin with. But also, I can't disagree. What <laughs> what fish is it? It doesn't matter. It could be one-in-a-kind fish. You could have got in a lab. You could have found it a thing. One of the uh, rules I have in writing is try to be vague when it's useful. So like, if somebody gets a lot of money, I usually don't say how much. Because I guarantee if you put, he got $10 million, somebody's like, it's not that much money. But if I say, he got a lot of money, that is imagine whatever money... So I imagine the killer fish in the same way. <laughs> That's interesting. That's one of those details that can date your story. Right. I so I was reading about economics, which oh boy. may not seem related. But um, <laughs> back in the 1800s, we used to follow the gold standard, kind of, and money didn't really inflate much. <laughs> so authors would often put like specific amounts of money in their story because it meant something to people. <laughs> You'd say 20,000 pounds, and that was... People knew that, that you could buy a mansion with that much money, and it didn't change from decade to decade. Um, and once we went off the, the gold standard, that was not true anymore. <laughs> so authors stopped putting specific amounts in the Yeah, books. well, that would make sense. If it changes a lot. Yeah, there's I mean, no... Right. It, it, you watch like... Smart writers wouldn't put that in books. <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> well, it's always... Now, sometimes it doesn't hurt if you actually don't mind if your story's dated. If it's very much of the era. You know, okay. watch, you know, something and you know it's... From that time, it's not a big deal. But killer fish are not something that actually exists, <laughs> or at least are not common enough. I guarantee you, if there's a killer fish and they put that in the tank, people wouldn't know what it was, and it would have just been like, why'd they make up a killer fish? Just put piranhas in there. <laughs> Whatever that thing. I love that they, they don't even call it a fish. They just say the thing and the thing. Get rid of that thing. Don't me to get rid of that thing. And then you said it comes in handy. As you can tell that Eddie's a douchebag. He's a supervillain. He's a... He's, He's a low-rent supervillain because low-rent supervillains have a shark tank, and he has the mystery <laughs> fish tank. They have a goon, like a colorful goon, and he's got the boxer guy, the failed boxer. He's In many ways, he's a low-rent supervillain. Yeah. Even his office is that weird cross between vapid music producer luxury. And like I was at the last one scene, you can actually see like the star behind his desk and the lights <laughs> and the gold. This is a guy who... In another universe, would be threatening Batman, <laughs> probably not successfully, but he would be trying. He's a Lex Luthor wannabe. <laughs> yes, Lex Luthor. Yeah, he'd, he'd be the guy who. Why don't they take me seriously? And they'd send uh, the Creeper after him, low-level superhero, the Creeper. You don't know? Do you know the Creeper, Scott? Does he grow Creeper vines? No, I don't know the Creeper. <laughs> 
Tell he started Deadpool before Deadpool. Okay. He or maybe about the same time. A uh, successful Deadpool. Yeah. Well, because he's a he's a DC character and he basically got hit with this gas that transforms him into a indestructible zany guy who fights crime. He had like one appearance in the actual Batman the Animated Series, which was actually pretty cool, and where he freaks out the Joker <laughs> because the Joker's crazy but still relatively mortal, and the Creeper is this nutty cartoon character who's after the Joker. <laughs> It's actually really interesting. That's who they would send after Anthony Arcadian. Okay. I mean, even his name, Anthony Arcadian, that's a super villain name. Yeah. Yeah. I like that they went for it. Mm -hmm. Oh, one of the things I forgot to mention I want to talk about is I love when they're menaced at the the movie theater, those two guys in the balcony and the one guy, the fat guy in the belly shirt. (laughs) And I do not want to body shame. I do not want to body shame. If he's happy with the way he looks and he's happy with his belly shirt, good for him. But it's an unusual look. It's all I'm saying. <laughs> it was an era in the 80s. I don't know. That couldn't have been a very big era. I don't know, man. Mesh shirts, fingerless gloves. <laughs> that happens. I didn't, I didn't dream it. No. <laughs> How can we take the clothes you normally wear and make them less? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> We would just give you the leg parts of the pants. <laughs> the shirt with, with just, just like a hammock and the fingerless gloves. You are ready. The nut cut out. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, a time for experiments. You know, that life is about glorious failures. <laughs> At some point in here, we see a DeBarge. <laughs> briefly right uh and rhythm his, of the night glorious pencil mustache <laughs> glorious and jerry curl <laughs> oh man the the new ghostbusters has has debarge show up and his song shows up and and uh is he still dressed uh, like that no he doesn't show up oh. <laughs> um oh uh kate mckinnon she, she in it she's in the, yeah, the from center of life yeah kate mckinnon's great i mean i love kate mckinnon i she is like She's been on Saturday Night Live for years and been one of the most solid performers on that show. She's a great impressionist. She's a great comedic performer. She's the one who does Hillary, right? Yeah, she does Hillary. Yeah, she's great. She does zany. She does straight. <laughs> she's just a great performer. They've had a lot of... One of the things in Saturday Night Live for the... I say the last six or seven years, they've had a really strong cast of uh, comedians, but especially female comedians. They really opened that up. And, and I think it's actually made the show... I mean, I, I think people always say Saturday Night Live funny because... It's default, is what they say. But I think it's a solid show, and I think that they've really created great female comedians lately, and they've given them an old doorway. And, and Kate McKinnon's been working forever, and she's she was on uh, She TV, which was a comedy show on like Logos. Is that the lesbian gay network? I don't know whichever one it was. It was a comedy show. She was on that for years before she actually went on to Saturday Night Live. Neat. Yeah, she's great. And so I just mentioned that because she dances to Rhythm of the Night <laughs> in this funny bit. Where she's being reckless while she's dancing with, like she's got a blowtorch and she's dancing, and another character is like, "Stop doing that." I always think of, you know, you cannot think of DeBarge and Rhythm of the Night without thinking of The Last Dragon. Well, I can't anymore, <laughs> and neither will you. <laughs> that mustache is just amazing. We watched the video of DeBarge. <laughs> Rhythm of the Night, and I like what you said. That yes, DeBarge has the uh, the bag of DeBarges. <laughs> There's three or four guys in the car with him that look just like him. <laughs> in various stages of DeBarge. Yeah. <laughs> the driver has the mustache 
and sort of looks like DeBarge, but he's got short hair. He hasn't adapted the cherry curl yet. He's new. He's new. I think he's, my theory is they're all clones, but only one was DeBarge. Because those two guys in the back, they are so much, they are so DeBarge. I think we're all DeBarge a little bit. If you look deep inside. That's true. Uh, but I love that. I do like that. It's a good song and I enjoy it. Yeah, oh, good stuff. So William H Macy shows up. <laughs> I don't know where this, for that that butt part. Yeah, he's the the, the guy who's talking about one stage it's, it's so funny when you watch movies and you see somebody, and then you realize later on you see them uh, like, uh, and that's my thing. I like to collect actors in in obscure movies, and like you know, there's that joke in um, Jane Silent Bob about Affleck was the bomb in Phantom Joe. <laughs> Which Phantoms is not really an obscure movie, but it's it was a movie he appeared in before he really yeah. took off. I want to meet Billy Bob Thornton one time just so I could say, you were really great in Zombie Chicks in Chopper Town. Which, I mean, <laughs> Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town. If I ever meet Liam Neeson, I'm going to tell him that I loved him in Crawl. Crawl. We talked about uh, Christopher Titus was in Killer Clown. <laughs> yes, then we got that. And so we can add William H. For about five seconds. <laughs> before he got uh, Killer Clown. But he does have a line. Yeah. <laughs> And he's drinking coughs. Remember, he's drinking beer. <laughs> it's <in> generic. <laughs> Not a beer. 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 <laughs> so, oh, and this is where they, they draw the parallel about, again, they establish the plot that the villain wants to get his music video on the show. That's fine. It's, at that point, it's a decent motivation. It's a little, he's a little bit stubborn about it, but then again, that makes him not just a super villain. That makes him a lot of, a lot of people get really obsessed with something, and that's sort of his his problem i think it's classic villain to be obsessed because otherwise you just walk away i'm starting to think this is almost shakespearean it's in a way isn't it though like so many villains in movies and tv shows and books you realize you always have the option of walking away and you don't right there's a, a determination <laughs> right it's well go, and, go a little american work ethic in uh <laughs> well in megamind which is a movie i really like uh it was dreamworks animated one about the supervillain. the reason i really like it is in the end, it turns out that the villain's defining character trait is his unwillingness to surrender. That's why he's getting beat by the superhero. But when it comes to the situation where he's got to basically rise to the occasion, for a second he kind of doubts himself, and it's only when the, the love interest, kind of the Lois Lane type character, says to him, look, you, you constantly lose. We need you to keep going. That's what you do. And I, I thought that was a really interesting way of taking that sort of... Because supervillains, villains in general in fiction have to have that if they keep coming back. Because clearly they're losing a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they have determination. And so this guy, yeah, his determination is stupid. But it's there. He's got some kind of personal stake. Right. It, it's, it's In this particular route <laughs> to getting this video put out there. I think it's because um, he's defined this show as his white whale. <laughs> I'm willing to buy the idea that Kung Fu Harlem, this is the way that you get yeah. something out to a wider audience. <laughs> Well, she's huge. I mean, she's a huge star. Right. People are excited. When she gets kidnapped... They set and, her up as the gatekeeper. Right. When, she's getting, when she gets kidnapped, or attempted kidnapping... One of many. That's when they first really meet, is when Bruce Leroy and her... He saves her from the villains trying to kidnap her. Um, well, those sweet kung fu moves. Sweet kung fu. And we talked about henchman rules, right? Which is... He beat up three of the guys with his bare hands. I think I can take him. Henchman optimism. You gotta love it. I do like the one is at least smart to try to fake it, where he he fakes like he's going to surrender, and then he takes a swing. 
<laughs> and the third guy is always going to pull out a knife. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, the first two get their ass kicked. Right. And the third guy will have some kind of thing that he's smart enough to think he's got an advantage if he pulls out something. A gun or a pie for a chain. Maybe he'll do that. He'll be that one guy who does like a couple of kung fu moves to show that he thinks he's good. You know, he'll do a couple of flip kicks or something before he gets his ass kicked. And then, and then the fourth guy, I don't know, the fourth guy just is stupid. Give up, walk away. Well, at this point, it's it's like a team building exercise. <laughs> Trust fall. Yeah. Look, Eric got the shit kicked out of him. Are you part of this henchman group or not? <laughs> you know what he was like? The guy walking back to base, like everybody else got missing teeth and, and black eyes and a broken nose, and you're like, gosh, guys, that was sure dangerous. I'm glad I didn't get involved in it. You're probably not going to be on the team very long. Sipping a latte. <laughs> guys, I mean, I thought you could take him, Jerry. I thought you could. <laughs> Then when he was punching you on he the ground, him next. <laughs> when he was punching you on the ground, I thought maybe if I sneak up behind him. But then I thought, no, nah, he, he's totally. He, I mean, you see what he did to Bill, guys. But you really tried, and I respect that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put in a good word with the boss. You didn't cry nearly as much as I thought you would. <laughs> I would have really cried when he broke my hand like that. That guy's probably not going to last on the team very long. What happened to Fred? He didn't make it. The hero shot him seven. Batman shot him seventeen times in the face. <laughs> Batman? Yeah, yeah. Batman. <laughs> so he's, this is the power of uh, social norms. <laughs> you know what? You've completely convinced me on this. <laughs> it's a study of sociology in some alternate universe. Some anthropologist, <laughs> a human behavior study guy, is studying thugs. <laughs> He's sitting in the bushes while Batman's beating up like 15 of the Joker's goons. He's like, hmm, Bright Eyes is still attempting to fight. <laughs> He's giving them nicknames, of course. <laughs> the girl is in the mist. The girl is in the mist. <laughs> that actually makes a lot of sense to me. I'm glad you brought that up because it, it does. Yeah. Doesn't seem that weird. Doesn't seem that weird. Well, if Jerry got punched in the face, I guess I got to do it next. You don't want to be the guy going back. It looks like you were just sitting on the sidelines. It's really hard to explain to your boss. Beat up five guys. I'm not even as tough as Jerry. Oh, no. I got hit in the stomach. So I started punching over a little bit. Starting to go, oh, oh, I think, I think you ruptured something. I should see a doctor. Yeah. And this is the scene where, and I keep using this phrase, it keeps pumping up in these, it's the meat cute. <laughs> One of the things I also want to mention I like about the scene where she's getting kidnapped the first time is, and even the second time, is she's a fighter. She doesn't just sit there, oh, she's, she's willing to bite and kick and punch. <laughs> like she's about to get punched because this guy knows that's the only way to get her to calm down when Bruce Leroy shows up. But I like that about it because it's, it's and you know I also want to say it's weird that it doesn't date this movie but Vanity's beautiful of course but I love her eighties hair I love it <laughs> I don't know why I don't know why they work on it so much because it always looks like a a mop <laughs> yeah I don't know why it's just it's kind of all over the place but I love it and I love her eighties clothes I think she looks really nice in this movie she's like a yep. quintessential eighties chick yes and yet she's also again she's not like a wimp she at least fights and she does stuff and it's good. 
This movie is a good ambassador of the 80s. It is. It is. It's much better than, say, the Garbage Pail Kids movie. <laughs> I thought maybe we could do that next. Oh, boy. <laughs> so it's the meet cute. Garbage Pail Kids movie. The message of the Garbage Pail Kids movie is that it's unfair to judge people from their outside appearance. But then they destroy it by having the Garbage Pail Kids being completely, ridiculously unpleasant people. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. The meet cutes. I like it. And again, I think the chemistry between Ty Mac and Fanny works really well. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah, we talked about that earlier. Hmm? Uh, so, yeah, Bruce Leroy saves her from being kidnapped the first time. <laughs> and then later on when he uh, saves her again. Well, so, I mean, the next time they try to successfully get her over to, to yes. Eddie Arcadia. <laughs> yes. This, this, the, in between there's that scene. We talk about that, that one scene where he's teaching the kids. And they have the, the jumpsuit, which I love. Yes. Bruce Lee actual jumpsuit and i wish it's such a strange thing because they don't talk about it you just assume it's like a replica yeah i mean i guess because it's really hard what you're gonna do is like would i be training you if i wasn't wearing the bruce lee jumpsuit i mean they don't talk about it and you never would guess that it's no. the same jumpsuit no. you know you just think he's like everything else he wears where he likes bruce lee a lot so he would wear the jumpsuit because he likes it right and this is where we're introduced it would to be hard of... to make a yellow jumpsuit with a black stripe down the side no it wouldn't and you're right, the fact that he must be about the same size, because it fits really well. When You know that, because when uh, Shonuff's gang shows up and harasses everybody, and the chicks are harassing him, they immediately point out his hot pot. <laughs> um, I'm always... I understand they're taunting him. Are they? But it's a weird thing to be taunted about, to have, like, chicks going... <laughs> to have the ladies being, oh... You're just good looking. That's all you are. Okay, I can deal with that. It's a grave insult to right? Bruce Leroy. <laughs> oh, ladies find me attractive. What a terrible burden. Bruce Leroy, I think, is of himself as a spiritually complete man. <laughs> it's sexual. But to be fair, though, he didn't ask for it. So it is sexual harassment. You know? It, <laughs> okay. is, it is an unfair advance. That's true. On his person. Double he, standard. That's right. It's not fair. Well, it's not double standard. It's it can clearly be a, wrong. It can be a sexual advance then. It's clearly oh, wrong, yeah. right? Sure. It's not not double standard. In this movie, it's clearly a wrong thing. I'm just right? saying. Normally, there's yeah. a double standard there. Oh yeah, yeah. Then yeah, that part where they do again is that thing where take his one of his students and they're gonna. I love this because we talked about this. <laughs> yeah, with you haven't proven anything. The fact that you're going to beat people up, <laughs> <laughs> proven that you're willing to hurt random people. <laughs> with that thing, it's the Incredibles. In that line, in, in, in that part where Mirage has the turning point where Mr. Incredible grabs Mirage and he thinks he's lost his whole family. He thinks he's at the lowest point and he's like, you're going to let me go or I'm going to I'm gonna just break her neck. I'm going to break Mirage Synd- syndrome. It's like, whatever, do it. And Mr. Incredible can't do it because he still respects life and all that. And that's the turning point where Mirage turns against Syndrome because she's upset because you're going to let me die. <laughs> and Syndrome's like, he didn't have the guts. But she has this great line, which is, Indifference to human life is not strength, and caring is not weakness, and something like that. And it's a great, it's actually, we talk about this uh, many times, things that stick with you. That always sticks with me, because so often I get frustrated when we think of heroes as, you know, being violent, and that's their goal. And there's a difference between, like, uh, the difference between, we talked, talked, I don't know we are talking to you or somebody else about, the difference between Batman, like, of Zack Snyder, is Batman of Zack Snyder just wants to hurt people. Yeah, they're criminals, but he just wants to hurt. He's not really that interested in helping people. And the Batman of, say, the animated series wants to help people, and he hurts people as a side effect of that. Right. And there's there's something to be said for um, 
heroes not lowering themselves yeah. to the level of, you know, their enemies. Well, and also of not wanting... Like, for example, if, if the show, show enough wanted real respect, he'd know you're not getting it by threatening some helpless person until somebody who wants, <laughs> who doesn't want to fight you but doesn't want to see somebody get hurt. That's not strength. That's just, that's abuse. Right. And that makes me think of uh, Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's not, I mean, you could call him the hero of the movie, but he's really just trying to get his daughter back and he murders a million people in the process. <laughs> Just kind of indiscriminately. <laughs> well, they're all bad people. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Some more nameless than others. <laughs> the goons. <laughs> My dearest Maria, it's become clear to me that our mad our our president has become mad with power. <laughs> I have been taking steps to overthrow him. Hey, what's that guy doing? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I doing one conscientious objector? Right. <laughs> Saw blade in the head. The end. <laughs> But it is that it is that thing about um, I know it's weird because <laughs> we're talking about a silly movie about kung fu, but it's fascinating to me how often even even sometimes with our sto- in stories in general, I've had people either I'm experiencing a story or something. Somebody will be well. Why does the hero care? Why does the hero care that ten million people are going to die? Is that really your question? <laughs> and it's honestly, I don't want to say frightening, but odd to me how often that comes up. Yeah. And the idea is that the hero is, is better than the average person. Right. But that, right. but the fact that... And even your average person would care. They might not just might not do anything. But that's different. But it's the notion that, that we don't care if it's not a personal investment. That's kind of sociopathic. It is. And in a way it is. And so even in fiction, they'll take planes to do that. Like the villains are going to destroy everyone in a building. But there's also a, the hero's daughter is there. Oh, well, now I care. I'm assuming not everybody in the building is an asshole. <laughs> James Bond does things all the time. <laughs> James Bond does stuff where it's like the Superlands, I'm going to destroy the East Coast. And James Bond is, I'm not going to let you do that. <laughs> but it's not because he's like, my mom lives on the East Coast. <laughs> my parents lived in Buenos Aires. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right? It's, uh, it's Starship it's, Troopers. It's, but that's actually Spot what it is, in a way. Right? Because And Starship Troopers is a great example because they always talk about defending the human race but really they're talking about killing i mean they go over and over and say about killing bugs i'm gonna kill bugs i'm gonna kill bugs it's not about defending the human race it's about oh yeah fighting it, something it's an intentional parody in starship well an eventual eventual intentional deconstruction of that idea about what is the honor why are you fighting it's kind of an important question why are you fighting it can't just be to fight and in yeah. this case why do you want respect show enough's problem is he just wants it. He doesn't care if it's real. He doesn't care where it comes from. It's it's a very dark motivation, but it's very true to life. Sure. Mm-hmm. This, this duality of man type stuff. Yeah. Um, it's Shakespearean. I would actually argue that... Fucking Shakespearean. <laughs> I would actually argue that as much as Shakespeare gets a lot of credit for things, the themes, they're not unique to Shakespeare. They're almost in all the stories. They pop up all the time. And... We we like to do with Shakespeare because he got extra credit because he's English. <laughs> but people I, like to think he did it well. I guess. I guess. I mean, I, I have no real. You're not wrong. Opinion. I mean, these are recurring stories. Right. <laughs> and and I mean, as Shakespeare we got about, him from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and did we mention? I I love that part where we we his family, which I think is nice. They're a nice, lovely yeah. family. And I love his his uh, sister is played by the actress who played Rudy on the Cosby Show. Yeah, she's a little kid. She's a little kid. She has like one sort of line. She didn't die, did she? 
I hope not. I didn't look. I do not want to look. Never mind. Forget I said it. Don't even look. <laughs> but I love that the family there's like it's a small thing, but again, talking about the uh the secondary characters and all their acting, uh, his mom has maybe two lines in this, but Everything she's in, she's a, she comes across as a genuine character. And his dad, I love they didn't go for the idea of the, the conflict between the family. Yeah, right. The dad's not... He's. I think he's just happy that his son is pursuing something. Right. And and, and the fact in, that... In Harlem, you know. He's like, happy that his son is pursuing things, and he's happy his son is a good person. Basically staying out of trouble. Yeah. And even the respect thing. I like the... The only time he even gets a little bit mad is that the uh, is Bruce Leroy's brother... When he gets a little bit disrespectful. And I'm like, well, Bruce Leroy's never going to be disrespectful. Bruce Leroy just respects everybody. And that's that's his strength. Yeah. Kung Fu Panda again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this wasn't a story about a family conflict. No, it which is nice. It. And I love that the, the dad runs the pizza parlor. <laughs> and when they see, I love that scene with the, the younger brother giving advice about sex to Bruce Leroy. <laughs> I like that a lot. Something about paintbrushes. <laughs> I don't I, remember exactly what it was. I think that was later when he's the... talking about it. Oh, yeah. He was right. just talking about, you know, sticking it and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the world the younger brother. <laughs> kind of talking out of his ass. But I like it, too, because it's it's a sincere moment between... It's about the characters, but also it's about the characters, which I like. Sure. They have their own personalities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see how they kind of mix together in this crazy... <laughs> Crazy messed up world we yes. live in. So I think at this point they try to kidnap Vanity again. Yeah, well, they do this time. <laughs> they successfully kidnap right. Vanity. Bruce Lever is looking for her because he lost his medal. Right. His mission medal. His super medal. <laughs> <laughs> and she's got it. His literal MacGuffin. <laughs> I mean, in this case, the master even literally gave him a MacGuffin. <laughs> wow, that's deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he sees her getting... Uh, Bruce Lee, where I see, are getting taken off by the the head goon, yes, of Eddie Arcadian, right, uh, and manages to follow him back there. But in the meantime, they're making her watch the terrible <laughs> pop video. <laughs> and I want to give credit to all the actors in this scene, right? Because <laughs> oh yeah, she looks really annoyed <laughs> and irritated. Uh, Eddie looks just so delighted. And the uh, the woman, uh, the, his girlfriend, is excited, but also kind of tenuous. She's kind of, you can tell she's kind of having more trouble be- buying into this dream. Yeah. She's kind of being railroaded. And you pointed out that that's the same actress, I think, that played in uh, Superman. No, it's not the same actress. It's the same same character type. Oh, okay. I thought it was the same. No, I don't think she's the same actress. I, I said she's, if if, if uh, Eddie is a low-rent uh, Lex Luthor, then she's, I don't say she's low-rent because she's actually a really good character. She's Miss Tessmacher. <laughs> and actually, she's a little better than Miss Tessmacher because Miss Tessmacher, going back to our thing, only helps Superman when she thinks her mom's in danger. Uh, yeah. Where uh, this woman, uh, this character, just hates the idea at all that people are getting hurt. You know, she hates it. She's trying to intercede. And she even goes and warns, you know, Bruce Leroy on that later scene about, watch out, Eddie's, Eddie's going after people and you want to be careful. She's a, she's a good character, and I and I like that about her. So she's like Miss Tessmacher, but the more enlightened version. <laughs> and her pop video is great. <laughs> it's... <laughs> you know what I like is they didn't make it so terrible that you... <laughs> You're saying it's a good, bad music video? <laughs> well, you know, there's a thing where sometimes when you make something so bad, you clearly, even though in real life that exists, you still get that thing of, 
Well, no one would have thought this was good. At least enough in your your universe. Anything's possible, but you don't make me believe it. This one, I'm like, this is okay. This is resoundly okay. That's not bad, but it's also why it's not something that's going to make a buzz. That's a good point. It's not, like, unwatchable. (laughs) Right. It's just goofy. It kind of matches up with the rest of the pop music. Right. it's a little bit even of an imitation of that. It's I keep thinking Barry Gordy had some say in some of this, like and like the songwriters he recruited to do this, and he was like, write one of those songs we get that are not very good but almost good. Write like two of those, and we'll put those for her. I get. It. I love the second one uh, where she's wearing headlights as a bra. <laughs> yeah. For a test drive, you want to take me for a test drive, but there's no free ride or something like that, which is almost cute. Like, it almost worked. So close. So close. <laughs> and even her outfit looks all stupid. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. There's one scene in there where she's wearing a triangle on her head. <laughs> Just a flat 2D triangle. That's right. So, Bruce Leroy busts in. Busts in. Ninja starts punching people in the <laughs> Ninja outfit. <laughs> I got a credit to the villains this time, though. They go for their guns. <laughs> yep. They can learn. <laughs> they can learn. But he kicks the they're crap out of them. They're intelligent, Captain. They're evolving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he kicks the crap out of them. Of course. Because <laughs> of course he does. He gets his mask taken off and Eddie's, he's going to dunk Eddie's head in that particular fish tank. <laughs> you know, hothead needs cool water. And he comes in and he pulls him out. It's like, ah! And that look <laughs> on his face because he's like the killer fish. And the, all the water. Blah, 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 blah. Like, I don't know what is in there. <laughs> That's a good bit. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Because he wouldn't have done it if he'd known there was no, not at all. deadly fish in there. And uh, he rescues Vanity. That's a good... It's right. a good... And then... At this point, Vanity's ready to throw down, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Vanity... But Bruce Leroy is too pure. <laughs> yes. She is ready. He has won her heart with both his, his amazing rock and bod, his protector nature, and his sweetness. I think this is where she starts planning her, her multimedia um, onslaught. <laughs> and I, I gotta, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I was like, uh, when she's undressing Bruce Leroy with her eyes, I'm buying it. <laughs> now, to be fair, Pimac is a pretty handsome man. He got it more handsome, but he's still a pretty handsome young man in this thing. <laughs> she probably doesn't have to act that hard. <laughs> I think she's into it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm undressing Timac with my eyes. I think we're all I into it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was looking over that you what you were when you were biting your lip. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that vanity's a hot, hot lady, and you're like, who? <laughs> oh yeah, oh man. yeah, vanity. I'm just telling you, man. They are a couple of attractive people. <laughs> they belong together. They Literally. do. She's she's a, a successful, nice lady. He's a successful, nice kid. And uh, she takes, is that where she takes him back to his place, right? She takes him back to her place, gives him back his medallion. He beats a hasty retreat. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I have never been in this situation exactly, but I have been awkward with women many times in my life. So I could completely understand this situation (laughs) where you're like, I think she's into me. But just to be safe, I better leave. Little window into the life of Haley Martinez. <laughs> dating experience. Well, she seems to like me. 
I better get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I leave? I don't know, but it felt like the right thing to do. Go for it, kids. (laughs) If you're listening. (laughs) Well, you don't have to back out is what I'm saying. That's what I mean. It's one thing to be, she's really, she's clearly willing to work with him. (laughs) Right? All he's got to do is just stay there for a little bit. (laughs) I I know this works because, spoiler alert, that's how I lost my virginity. (laughs) Was mostly just staying there (laughs) until it happened. So I know what Bruce Leroy's going through. It's a very relatable experience. I'm just saying young Ailey Martinez, well, actually, uh... current Ailey Martinez is not a smooth operator. I just, (laughs) just in case you thought that was what was happening. I mean, there's something to that. If you stay until something happens. It's like, maybe if I stay long, she'll hold my hand. (laughs) It worked for Bruce Leroy. It worked for Bruce Leroy. Well, you know. Maybe it would help if I had saved somebody's life multiple times. Do you know Kung Fu? I don't know Kung Fu. And my body was never that rocking. <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty good for a couple of years, but never that. I'm aiming for a time lock. <laughs> Fighter body. That's your new goal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, then there's this, the other part with the, with the pizza shop tech, which is very much old school Kung Fu movie. Where they come so, in and attack the pizza shop. Yeah, it's a little mixed up. Because um, a lot of times in a Kung Fu movie, they'll break up the dojo. Right, but there's no dojo the in this one, yeah. It kind of was. He was teaching somebody at that. But it was kind of vague. Yeah. But anyway, right. Show enough comes and busts up his parents' pizza shop. Right. Which is just horrible. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like, what, aren't there police going to show up? These guys busted up my pizza shop. Kung Fu ladies. <laughs> <laughs> we could take it. Oh, Shogun of Harlem. That's not our beat. <laughs> we don't mess with him. He's a bad motherfucker. <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> He's the prettiest. <laughs> and uh, Bruce Leroy shows up just in time, but uh, they've already run away. And this is the scene where he's got to kind of emote a little bit. And I want to give credit to the mom. I like the mom in this scene because even though she doesn't do a lot, she doesn't have a lot of lines, she's ready to fight. Yeah, <laughs> she's ready to grab stuff, and the husband's kind of the one who's trying to keep the peace, right? And uh, trying to get everybody through in, in one piece. Yes, and there's that line. Uh, this, the brother says, well, "What's the good of that kung fu stuff if you never used it?" Which is sort of legitimate, but also kind of represents, yeah. But you can also use it to bust up pizza shops for no good reason. So it's the dilemma. It's the dilemma. Kung fu dilemma. Kung fu dilemma. <laughs> and this is where we get to the. Uh, I mean, I like the part we also have with the. Uh, the, the Blazing Saddles recruitment scene. Kind of out of nowhere. <laughs> this is where it gets a little surreal. So Eddie's having tryouts for thugs. <laughs> and they're like cartoon supervillains. <laughs> the one guy just growls like he's a dog on a leash. <laughs> well, I, I love that bit. I love that growling part because the fact that it's actually the conversation going on. It's the I am Groot before that I am Groot. Because the guy's like, he's like, you don't get double. (laughs) Why do you think you get double? (laughs) He's dressed like a barbarian. I think later on he goes to Speed Racer Universe and races for the barbarian Viking team. (laughs) It's very surreal. They look like um, Dynamo from the running. (laughs) No, that's the later on guy. That's the later in the the other scene. 
That's not the same guy. No, the dog guy was a different guy than he. The guy who looked like the big guy with the mohawk, <laughs> who looked like the uh, singing dynamo runner from The Running Man. Three part beard. It's a hard look to pull off. <laughs> he almost pulled it off until he was beaten by children. <laughs> Those are the brakes. <laughs> so he's rebuilding his crew from his his useless run of the mill thugs. <laughs> I think there's an in between step from. Um, useless run of the mill thugs to cartoonish supervillain. <laughs> you would think, but they do have. It's like going pro. But the other thugs wanted to keep their amateur status. <laughs> but these guys are coming up, and what do you do? I'm the mad dog. Like later on in the fight scene, where you've got the guy with the different equipment, and they have different looks. They walk around the street like that all the time. <laughs> like, can't you wear regular clothes? This is Kung Fu Harlem. Kung Fu Harlem. If you need a guy with a with a Vega mask and a sword, that's where you go. This is a very kind of kung fu movie thing where yeah. some guy will roll around with in, in full costume. Yeah. People know him as like the ghost face killer. That's right. <laughs> it's Master Lord Face of the Good Guillotine. <laughs> uh, and this is the scene. And after that, that recruits I really like that scene where this is like one of strangely it's become one of the highlights of scenes of this movie is where Eddie is arguing with uh, his girlfriend and she what's her face what's her face she really breaks it down and she's like i don't want to do this i'm really kind of getting bored of doing this and he's like no you want to do it and she's like you want to do it and it's all about you and it's it's kind of like you're trying to be a star for yourself and you're just trying to use other people and you and it's also that thing because like that's not necessarily a weak motivation but he's lazy and he's corrupt and he's stupid and he's not seeking out talent that does it and he's not trying to encourage like where uh his boxer his boxer henchman and they mentioned that his boxer henchman was trying to be a star and didn't rise up and 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 he, eddie gave up on him because he lost a couple of fights and she says that you know you gave up and eddie and 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 what she's also kind of realizing i think is well it's only a matter of time before you give up on me yeah and and it's all about you and it's it's you're just using people and using me and using all the people around you, and I can't be a part of that. It's a really good scene. I mean, and there's that, like, to me, there's that soul-destroying line where he's like, you, without me, you just got to get on your buying your tits. <laughs> and she's like, well, Eddie, all you are is getting on by on my, my tits, too. <laughs> and it's just like, I think this is the moment. I call this the villainous breakdown moment because she walks out, and she's done with him, and I think it just destroys him. I think he's he he rather than deal with his dilemma, he's going to prove her wrong by somehow killing Bruce Leroy. <laughs> he snaps. Yeah, it's, it's an excellent scene. So at this point, he's ready to kill everybody. <laughs> Pretty much, he's done kidnapping people. <laughs> he's done. <laughs> he's done screwing around. He is ready to. He doesn't care who he hurts, why he hurt, he doesn't even care why he's hurting them anymore. <laughs> And and you realize that's sort of that uh, that's not that unrealistic, sadly. Nope. Because they there's that part where she Vanity uh, takes him takes Bruce Leroy and shows him the multimedia presentation of Bruce <laughs> Lee to to uh, win him over. And you know it's that typical thing where a beautiful accomplished woman goes to the trouble of creating a multimedia package to seduce you. We've all been there. <laughs> And uh, and I love that she's smart enough. She's smart enough to splice in Bruce Lee kissing somebody. Ah. Just playing this thing down to the uh, 
She knows her audience. <laughs> she knows what she wants. So Leroy's thinking, if Bruce can do it, so can I. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, then he, he runs away because he figures out to be disguised, and he goes and he does the the scene with the to meet the master. But the master's just, the master's not, there, there's no secret ingredient. Yeah, he's been uh, harassing this fortune cookie place. Right. <laughs> so you think there's, there's a wise master in there writing fortunes. <laughs> and then there's that part. Again, this is very much along the lines when he goes and confronts his master, his old teacher. His old teacher says, when he gives him, that is exactly, he takes out that fortune and gives him that cookie. And he's like, you've looked everywhere but where you need to. That's just dead on. And I love the, again, the par- like, I love the master sort of parody because it's like, oh, I'm, I have to leave. I have to pack for my flight. Are oh, you on a quest? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to visit my sister in Miami. Not everything. I'm not a cartoon, man. I have people and things I want to do. Because you never see like the, uh, the master like, what are you doing? Uh, I need to go to the mall and pick up some new shoes. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorite parts in the movie. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that guy's everything awesome. Everything with the, the old Chinese Kung Fu guy. <laughs> yeah. Because he plays on that trope, but he also plays against it. Again, it's, yeah. yeah. It makes me think of the, the, there was a Kung Fu movie with Jackie Chan and Jet Li mm-hmm. and some Shayla Booth. Oh, I know what we're talking about, uh, Forbidden Kingdom or something. Yeah. No, it wasn't Shia LaBeouf. I can't remember the kid's name, but he's he's good and I can't it remember what it is. looks similar to... Yeah, it just reminds me of that, because the old Jackie Chan plays like the old store owner. Right. <laughs> selling the, the kid kung fu movies. It's like, you need to stop watching this <laughs> crap. <laughs> it's going to rot your brain. It's not real life. Like everything, you have to <laughs> mix in real life. One of the things I also want to mention is, we didn't talk about yet, but I really like the token white kid among his brother's friends. Yeah. It was half the time dressed like a, a Guido or something. I don't know. Some kind of gangster. He's got like a weird hat he wears, and he's just this. <laughs> it's the eighties. You could wear whatever you wanted. Half a well, shirt. <laughs> you could not. You could not over accessorize in the eighties. That is true. <laughs> you wear a fishnet for a shirt, you could, and then you could put on a scarf and another scarf over that. You could put your hair really big, <laughs> and put shoulder pads. You know, I remember shoulder pads. You know, what I find really attractive in a woman is linebacker shoulders. <laughs> I'm not talking about sculpted shoulders. Sure, those are nice. I'm talking about, like, linebacker. Big shoulders. Big, big monster shoulders. You know, you, I remember in the shoulders 80s, you, you would down. date somebody, <laughs> and the first time you'd reach up and touch your shoulder, and you're like, oh, it's not real. <laughs> Were you looking for a woman with robot shoulders? <laughs> robot shoulders. You know, because it's like, well, nobody's that square, but maybe this time. <laughs> Keep dreaming the dream, man. Mm-hmm. So we're getting, getting close to the end here. Yes, yes. <laughs> he discovers that there's no... Well, he hasn't really discovered he it still yet. Hasn't, he still hasn't figured it out. He's, he's figured out there's no master that he needs right. to find. And he's feeling kind of down. <laughs> yeah. This is where he could give up, but then he has to not give up because he has to go rescue Vanity from Eddie. Right, everybody's kidnapped again. That scene where where uh, Eddie's kidnapping Vanity, and then uh, Bruce Leroy's brother shows up and yells at him, and Eddie just kind of looks at him and smiles like a madman. <laughs> you just you realize this man is gone. He's gone. He's excited. Oh look, there's somebody else I can possibly hurt. <laughs> Music industry is rough. <laughs> Bruce Leroy goes in there and he has the fight again. This is where the guy crosses the super villain territory. <laughs> With the screens, the big screens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With his choreographed, like, laughing face. Yes. Up. And the mad. He's got the crazy eyes. 
I really think that's another callback to Bruce Lee something. It might it might be. Hall of I, Mirrors in the Game of Death. It, who knows? It could have been. I mean, Hall of Mirrors wasn't in Game of Death. Hall of Mirrors was in uh, Enter the Dragon. Yeah, that's what I meant. Come on now. <laughs> Listen, it's your job to remember which movies are which. <laughs> I just provide the John Madden style color commentary. <laughs> Oh, he's really going to want to run in there with the ball. <laughs> Which I assume is something. Uh, uh, you know what I mean. <laughs> Ooh, they dropped the ball. They don't want to do that. <laughs> Thanks. Glad you're there to help me. <laughs> and so then all the thugs come out, the colorful thugs in the colorful lair. It's not really his lair, but it feels like a lair because it's a dance party show. Yeah. <laughs> So it's a good group fight scene with uh, Bruce Leroy. Yes. Kicks some ass. Although he's starting to get overwhelmed. By yeah. The, well, the, and the there's that, that big guy. I forget what the big guy's name was. Brutus or whatever. Who bites the nunchuck in half. <laughs> and throws him down. And they're about to beat him up. And that's when all the kids come in. Save the day. The students. The students. Yeah, that's the kids. <laughs> just not not kids. just ragamuffins from the streets. The, <laughs> the Baker Street Irregulars. <laughs> Some kid with a fingerless glove. <laughs> British orphans. British orphans for some reason that patrol Kung Fu Harlem. How about you? <laughs> and this has uh, this is where we saw Ernie Reyes Jr. in this, who went on to star in other movies. Uh, last thing I remember seeing him in was actually the rundown. I'm sure he's been in something since then, where he beat up on the rock. <laughs> he, so unrealistic. Well, in that it's that. <laughs> It's the joke, is because he's flipping around and flying around and kicking, <laughs> and he's getting his butt kicked by this super agile guy who's hurling his whole body into him. And the choreographer for a lot of the action sequences in this in this movie are, is a Ernie Ernie Ray's senior. So I'm sure young Ernie Ray's junior probably has some nepotism going on there. <laughs> but he's a good he's good he's a good martial artist. And here's the thing: it's Kung Fu Universe. So if you have Kung Fu, you can beat a thug. Yes, of course. Right. That's how Kung Fu works. Right. Real life, these kids would just be on the floor bleeding to death. <laughs> they're not all children. I mean, they're mostly They're still older. young kids. Right, but they're mostly older kids. You're telling me <laughs> a couple of 17-year-olds who knew karate are going to beat up thugs? That, the one guy beat up a table. And the other guy's got a three-part beard. And a mohawk. I'm just saying. <laughs> that's horrifying. I'm just saying. <laughs> It's not quite as ridiculous as like a bunch of kindergartners coming in. That's true. That's jumping true. on them like spider monkeys. <laughs> would have been weird. <laughs> it wasn't the kids' black belt class. The original, the original show, the original script he was teaching kindergartners. <laughs> but yes, Kung, Kung Fu rules. It's uh, Seinfeld with the Seinfeld episode where Kramer is te- learning karate. <laughs> and and he's, he's the best in his class, but it turned out he's, he's training with children. <laughs> They're like, you're training with children? We're the same skill level. <laughs> and they show him, like, you know, because Michael Richards is so tall. He's just dragging kids around and pushing them around. But in this universe, it's okay. Yeah, the same skill level. Anyway. Um, so the thugs are starting to lose because of the power of Kung Fu. The <laughs> power of Kung Fu. That was his main problem. He didn't really recruit a lot of Kung Fu guys. He just recruited, if he recruited some more ninjas, although too many ninjas would just cancel each other out. But more, he did recruit the Shogun of Harlem. The Shogun of Harlem, which is the best guy. But he, you know, the Shogun waits till they're away, right? Because if he's too close, he loses. He's just another thug. Wow, <laughs> he wants to beat Bruce Leroy fair and square. 
so to speak. Finally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. After he's tired from fighting all those other people. Right, when they run down, and I love that part where they're running, where they, they, you first see him show up, they're fighting a little bit, or even before they fight, and then uh, the show notes hands start glowing <laughs> with that cool, like, and it's the first time you actually, I think, sincerely see fear in Bruce Lee on yeah. his face. <laughs> he looks nervous. Sure, this is what he's been looking for. He's like, oh my god, have I have I met the real master? And he also talks about the danger that would suppose to the world <laughs> if Shonuf had the power to destroy. Which it's hard to argue with since Shonuf's an incredible douche. He's got the glow. He's got the glow. Can't question it. And then I like the like animated sparks every time he punched him. <laughs> they were pretty good animation for um, yeah. the time period. Mm-hmm. And then they fight, and then Bruce Leroy gets his butt kicked. He kind of fights a little bit. He fights back, but he's still not right. match. Well, he starts to fight back, and then Shonuf activates the glow. That's right. <laughs> Throws him in the water, drowning right. him. And that part with Well, the... he's trying to get Bruce Leroy to call him the master. Because <laughs> that's what he truly wants. He just wants... the recognition. He wants the recognition, but see, the thing is, is it'll never be enough, Shonuf. It'll never be enough. There'll always be some other guy who doesn't respect you. Sad. And that's... It's like... Who is the master? <laughs> and I love that Eddie's just drowned him. Just drowned him. <laughs> yeah. But Shonuf doesn't want to kill him. He wants his he wants his power. Right. Shonuf, I your style. Shonuf may kill him after yeah. he's gotten what he wants. Right. <laughs> oh, oh, who's the master? And then when he pulls him in, and that shot of pulls him out where Bruce Leroy's just smiling. <laughs> I have. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, great culmination. <laughs> it is. It's the whole point of his journey. It's yeah. the, and then he, he catches, catches the it, fist. <laughs> and he's got the, the the glowing golden glow. And it's not just in his hands; it's all over. Mm-hmm. And the power shorting out and showing us hands. I love that. It's like he lost his confidence. It's his rainy season. It's his rainy season. <laughs> well, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe he goes back home to his dad at the movie theater. After this movie's over, and he's just like, I don't know what to do anymore. And his dad's like, see this movie projector, son? It's just light and shadow. Where is the movie? Sometimes in a kung fu movie, uh, after the villain loses like that, he'll ask the protagonist yeah. to teach him. <laughs> What's it? Well, that's even in... Um, one of the things I love about Kung Fu Panda is when Tai Lung attacks and sees the scroll, gets the scroll and sees it's nothing... Poe doesn't lie to him. Poe's just like, oh, I didn't get it either. There's no secret <laughs> ingredient. Or Kung Fu, have you seen Kung Fu Hustle? Yeah. Kung Fu Hustle, in that, at the end, when this, the, the, the monster, was it, what was his name, the character? The monster, the, yeah, but whatever his name was, like the butcher or whatever. He bows when he's got so much power, when he realizes how more, much more powerful the, and then the character's just like, yeah, I'll teach you. <laughs> it's, it, it's that moment, which I like is, and it's one of the things I loved about like Dr. Strange was that line, no knowledge is forbidden in, in uh, I wish we had Cotero, whatever that place is. Because I love that idea is teachers want to teach. We, the information is not forbidden. And I, and I love that. Now, in this case, Shonuf, who knows, in the maybe extended cut, Shonuf comes back <laughs> and asks Bruce Leroy. But if he doesn't, it's his loss. Because I guarantee you, if he came back... Humbly asked to be taught, Bruce Lee would teach him in his heartbeat. Yeah, he's yeah. only torturing himself. Right. The only people keeping you from that information from well, that he has is been you. All along. <laughs> That's true, right? He well, think about it. He's already got his gang. He's already got a cool. He's above the law. <laughs> 
most everyone agrees he's a badass. There's just one guy who's just, I really don't care. And there's people like, you can kick everybody's ass but that one guy, but nobody really cares about that gun guy. I know I shouldn't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bruce Leroy's not, <laughs> like, interacting in the, the martial world, really. Right. It's just his ins- uh, showing us insecurity. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird to talk about. But what makes it seem real to me is, and what makes all of it seem real, is all the characters are actually struggling with an internal struggle. And I realize how many times in movies that fail, they... Now, it doesn't always have to be an internal struggle. It can be like, oh, there's a monster, I'm just trying to survive. But if it's not that, it's why characters can seem very false in their motivations. Because they're not struggling with themselves, and ultimately, we all struggle with ourselves. Yeah, I'm going to say that one of the things I didn't like about Star Wars Episode Seven. Mm-hmm. stay with me here, <laughs> Poe, at the beginning of the, I'm sorry, not Poe, Finn, at the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie, has some kind of PTSD because mm-hmm. he's seen people dying, and the rest of the movie, he has no problem murdering anybody. <laughs> that That's a legitimate point. I, I've, I, I, I completely agree with that. It's that... Um... That really bothered me. <laughs> Yeah, because it's 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 just not internally consistent, right? It, it's not the struggle of can I? I mean, look at look at the movies we talked about in the past. I'm going to look at some of these movies in the past because I think they're important. Cats don't dance. the The whole heart of that story is Danny's struggle, like his optimism, and then when he gets down, that's his low point, and then he gets back up. But like Sawyer in that movie, that's her transition. His optimism transforms her from this dated person. It's her struggle versus not believing in all that. It's that interaction that makes it work. And even Darla Dimple's struggle about, like, no one's going to take my place in this town. <laughs> yeah, and all the lesser characters, to some extent, have kind of given up on, right. on their dreams to some degree. And even I'm thinking about uh, the car, which is, <laughs> you know, the car's just a, basically a horror movie. But it really is that struggle between, and in this case it's pretty obvious there's this car, but it really is the fact that the characters feel that damage. We talked about in the car, people die left and right. And it matters. Nobody walks out of that movie going, oh, well, a bunch of characters died. I mean, it's a nameless hitchhiker, and they're all pissed off about it. Right. Nobody in that movie feels like they won. <laughs> right. At the first, they think is, we've solved this problem. Yeah, people are going to stop dying. Right. <laughs> and it's the struggle of that. And, and I think a lot of these movies have that. Now, it, interestingly enough, I don't know if Starship Troopers has it, but Starship Troopers intentionally is creating this sort of propaganda piece of black and white. And so there's not really a lot of struggle in Starship Troopers internally but that fits with the propaganda piece absolutely mm-hmm. um i mean speed racer has even speed racer has all sorts has of all right it, as much as they're such a like it's interesting because they always talk about characters have to be conflicted and and flawed but that's not where the conflict comes from speed racer i mean those characters are all really good nobody in that movie who's a good guy is bad in any way right right <laughs> speed racer has he's a nice kid who just wants to race Racer X faked his own death, by the way. Spoiler alert. Racer X is secretly Rex Racer, Speed Racer's brother. So maybe that's why one of the things I think these movies get a little underrated is because it works because of the internal conflict between the characters and themselves. And if they don't have it, again, unless the movie's really, really simple, like something like Anaconda. There's a snake that's trying to kill us. We need to get out of here. All right, that, that works. Right, but movies like that a lot of times are just not memorable. They they can fail a lot, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's perfectly... Anaconda's a fine movie. Yeah. I, I watched it. I didn't mind watching yeah. it. But it's not something that I'm like, people should see this. As opposed to Anacondas, <laughs> Hunt for the Blood Orchid, which we will do one day, 
<laughs> which I think about it has like it's not the struggle of the characters, but there's moments in that movie where the characters are conflicted with each other and themselves. That's not forced. That works really well. Hmm. It's interesting. I'm I'm seeing this more. One of the reasons I enjoy doing this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> even though sometimes they can get a little too diverse, is I love talking about storytelling. Obviously, as a storyteller, but I also feel like. I'm always learning stuff, and I and I I, I feel like I'm learning something from these movies. Talking about a movie this much can help you right. develop and your I, thoughts on it. And I, and I, I mean, think, that's yeah, that's absolutely true. Right. And and you're right. Is it the the master? It's like oh, show show enough. Maybe you'll maybe you'll swallow that pride and that ambition and just understand. <laughs> and and but even like I said, so many things we talk about in movies. It's it's just fascinating because again, I just think about since we did Speed Racer. How how those characters could have come across as flat, but they never do because they're still struggling with life. Right. They're, yeah. They're basically what's the word I'm looking for? They're they're like scions of. They're basically good, right? There's right. no real malice in any of them, but they're still struggling with right. their lives and their decisions and their yeah. It's really good. I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so spend your mind, man. It's, you know, it's one of the things I think is fascinating is. I really do believe, not just as a storyteller, but as, a, as a, just a human being, is it's not knowledge isn't is just isn't just there in like these profound, obvious moments and these small moments. And the fact that I can think about this movie and be like, I don't want to be a shown up man. I want to be a Bruce Leroy, <laughs> right? I understand there's gonna be there's gonna be the rainy season, but if I work, maybe even for a little bit, I can get the glow. So end of the movie. The mighty sequoia sleeps in the tiny seed. <laughs> And the end, I love the end of this movie where it crosses over completely into Supernatural where the bad guy shoots him and he caught the bullet. Yeah, he did. I love that. He's got the glow. He's got the glow. He's become the master. He is self-actualized. Yes. And the movie wraps up really quickly to its credit. I like that. You know, it's done. Yeah. They just, they there's no, what's with the wrap up? He's become the master. There was never really conflict. I do like there's no conflict between um, Vanity and and Ty. I'm sorry, uh, Time Mac? Time Mac. Because there's that, normally in romances, it's girl gets boy, boy gets girl, boy loses girl. No, she's on board 100% yeah. the whole time. And he's really on board. He'd be on board if he wasn't distracted by other things. So right. at the end of the movie, it's, they're, they're together. And they're, they're, they're doing that, it. They're <laughs> doing the it up in the sound stage. In my, in my last dragon erotica. <laughs> Fan fiction coming soon. <laughs> My last dragon erotica titled "Enter the Dragon." <laughs> and Can't game wait. Game of love. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, it, it's great. I I actually like this movie. I always enjoy these. He's talking about these movies. I always end up enjoying them more than I thought I did. After talking to him, so good job. Yeah, I feel like there's a reason these things stick in my head. Yes. Right? We've got this list of movies, and I'm honestly, I'm not sure why I put some of them on that right. list, but it becomes clear on the second viewing. I think that's true. I think it's it's actually interesting to be like, oh, that's what I love about this movie, and I never realized. <laughs> yeah. um, any final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts is it's a great movie. I think it's I think it works on almost every level. It's it, Even when it's cartoonish, it still works. I think it, I think it's, it's, it's just, a, it's a solid period piece that still stands up. I'm going to say that, it, again, it's a beat-for-beat beat kind of kung fu story. Um, and I like kung fu movies. And a lot of times they are just retellings of this same kind of classic mm-hmm. theme mm-hmm. where some some protagonist 
overcomes his, his inner demons or whatever. And yeah. It, it's about internal conflict right. a lot of times. Right. It's not just about who can punch hardest. Right. <laughs> well, I, it I, is. But, but the punching <laughs> is, a, is a manifestation. Not to get too often into, into this whole other thing, but one of the things form. is... Well, actually, one of the things interesting between Eastern and Western culture, in particular the culture of the gun in the West, is the culture of the gun in the West is that you aren't powered until you have a tool that can empower you. Whereas the culture of the East, in a lot of traditional senses, it's not the tool that empowers you, it's you that empower the tool. And so that's why they like like Kung, uh, Kung Fu movies very a lot, because that's almost always, if you notice it, it's always you are more centered person or a more able person or a more functional person or just a more driven person and that's what makes you dangerous versus in the and not that it's always true but in the west it's usually are you the biggest are you the strongest do you got more guns you win <laughs> that's and, really interesting yeah and it's a really interesting dynamic which that's the whole dynamic shown up and and uh bruce leroy <laughs> fall into because bruce leroy has internalized he's become it's not the punches and the kick those are just the manifestation of his his will the deep man <laughs> take that shakespeare wow <laughs> wow <laughs> so um uh our next movie it's going to be sky captain sky and captain the world, the world of tomorrow. tomorrow which you haven't seen right i have not i really like sky captain the world of tomorrow um it's one of my favorite movies it's a great homage to like pulp it was done mostly with cgi before I think before Star Wars did it, um, but it's done better, and it's partly because it looks it looks like a, a weird setting. It's intentionally sort of grayish and like old black and white stuff. Yeah, a lot of times with the earlier CG stuff, it helps to be not it's, in somewhere you recognize. It's surreal. It helps to put a level of surreal on it. Right, Speed Racer definitely definitely use oh, that to their benefit. Right, because we talked about that. The scene <laughs> that looks the worst is the one that's the the most realistic looking. Right, it's the suburbs. <laughs> right, when they're on the racetrack or they're in the desert, like, I'm on board. They're on the ice cave. <laughs> so anyway, that should be exciting. All right, All right until then, he's Scott. He's Lee, and we just saved the movie. He's Scott. I go first. Remember, Scott and Lee pointed at me. I was doing the this, the thing, the Hollywood thing. You do the one. You don't. You don't say the last numbers. All right, <laughs> do it again. <laughs>